and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hey legends, welcome back for another week of Challenges That Change Us. Just take a moment and just check in with yourself. How are you tracking? How is your week going? Have you taken a moment to pause and take stock? Or are you just on that hamster wheel that so many of us get on where you're just going around and around and around? If this is you, I want you just to take a moment before you listen to this episode and press pause and just ask yourself a couple of questions. Firstly, check in with your breath, what is happening there? And ask yourself, how are you feeling at the moment? What's happening in your world right now? Where are the wins? What are the challenges? How are you showing up for yourself and the people around you? And also, how are you spending and prioritizing your time? So if you're the one on the rat wheel, I just want you to take a moment, turn this off, take as long as you need, and when you're ready, you can jump back into this episode. Today, I want to introduce you to Jessica Ritchie, a multi-award-winning personal brand expert speaker, and seven times best-selling international awarded author. She has worked with hundreds of Australia's leading brands, including Golden Circle, Super Retail Group, Crop Consultants Australia, Regional Development Australia, St. Vincent's Hospital, Queensland Police Services, and so many more. She's a trusted strategic brand advisor to some of the most influential business owners and executives. Jessica helps organizations to build a remarkable brand through her powerful Mark mythology. She's also a judge for the Australian Marketing Institute Business Awards and the Australian Government. And she's been featured on ABC Radio, 4BC, 10 News, Koshy's Business Builders. But as always, on challenges that change us, this is not why she's here today. Today, Jess is here to open her world up to you, the challenges that she's faced, how she navigated them, and the lessons and learns along the way. We have talked before on this podcast about the grief that comes after losing a loved one, but we've never actually talked about that moment you first hear. Today, we cover that moment, but with a twist. Jess has had several challenges in her life, but for her, The one that stands out is the moment a national news headline leads her to genuinely believe her husband has died in a police shootout. She has been making small changes up until that point, but the response she felt to that moment and the way that she reacted made her realize that she had to make a change. It's what led to completely overhauling her business and life, and it has formed the basis of her book, which I encourage you guys to definitely grab a copy and have a read. We cover a lot of ground in this episode, including the moment she found her baby brother in a comatized state when she was just a little girl, the day the shooting happened, what happened in the days post the shooting, and how this led to a disconnection with herself and her loved ones. 
You all know I try and give you some insight into what to expect in the episode so that you can work out if this is the right episode for you today. If it isn't, feel free to skip it and we will see you next week for our Monday release. If any of this content causes you any distress or you would like to talk to someone, Lifeline is here to listen on 13 11 14. I think you guys are going to take a lot away from this episode. Let me introduce you to Jess. Welcome Jess to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you so much for coming on today and giving up your time to share your story. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest today, Ellie. And Jess, I love to start every episode with asking our guests, what animal would you choose that would best describe you? And what is it about that animal in particular? I really love this question. And it's something that I had to think about. And I decided on an elephant because when I was thinking of my characteristics being very empathetic, a huge empath, very loyal and caring in nature, they are, they're so loyal to their herd, they're joyful, they love playing with their young. They say an elephant never forgets that their memory is incredible. I would love, (laughs) I don't have a wonderful memory, but you know, you think about some things and you're like, gosh, you know, I wish I could forget that, but it's something that you just can't forget. So, um, and you know, and elephants come in all shapes and sizes and colors. And I just think they're really remarkable, beautiful. It was actually my grandmother's favorite animal too. So it's something I just feel like I have. A strong connection to. Yeah, and I'm sure we're going to hear about that today as we have our conversation. Jess, maybe a great place for us to begin would be just to get to know you a little bit. You know, do you want to tell us a little about who you are? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, hi, I'm Jess Ritchie. I'm 38 years old or soon to be 38. A mum to two beautiful boys who I was told I would never have naturally. So incredibly grateful to be a mum. I'm the wife to uh, my husband, Sam, who's a police officer. And then me, I'm a cheerleader for a lot of people in business, career and life. I've spent 18 years helping to build and create some of Australia's leading and most recognized brands, whether that's in marketing and comms and PR, through to having my own business now for the last seven years years. So I help people to get clarity, for them to get connection and to really communicate what makes them different and stand out in a really noisy world to make the mark that they deserve. Always a challenge, right? Having a couple of companies myself, I sometimes feel like that's one of the greatest challenges. You know, you can have an idea and the passion and the drive and but really making your message succinct in a way that people understand and that you can stand behind and be like, I'm all encompassing this message. It's really, it's so much harder than I give credit for, you know? I don't know about if you feel this way, Ali, I know you are, but whether you feel it when you're so multifaceted, it's hard to put a succinct message around that. And I found that really difficult because not only do I do marketing and brand advisory, I'm a Reiki master and then LP practitioner, you know, a certified life and business coach. So when you marry all of that together, it's like, well, what are you? But it's me, you know, and it's you and that's what makes us unique and it's just us. So what I say is I can help really extract the unique energy and essence 
that we all have so that we help and serve the people who really need us and that we really want to work with. Mm -hmm. And I always get so excited when I bring someone on that has a business background, but it's not why we brought you on today. I could absolutely (laughs) sit in this space for the next hour and move on. I was like, sorry, tell me more about it. <laughs> yeah, we definitely we'll could. We'll do that but- later. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for our listeners, Jess and I are going to stay on for an extra hour and a half after this conversation and talk shop. But Jess, what I'd really, really love to have a conversation with you about is some of the challenges that you've faced to date. You know, we did talk about this when we first had the conversation. There's a lot there. You know, there's a lot of chapters that have gotten you to where you are today. And one of the biggest challenges we have on this podcast is how do we do it all in an hour? Like how do we honour and hold space for our story in an hour? Like we can't do that. So, you know, we thought maybe a good place to start might be talking about 2017 as it was probably, the I don't want to take words out of your mouth, but one of the most pivotal challenges that you've faced and impacted you significantly up to today. So do you want to start with maybe setting the scene around what was happening for you on that day? Yeah, sure. So at the time, you know, when you go back and you remember the day, the time, like to the minute when these big things happen in life. And I woke up on the 29th of May of 2017 and I woke up feeling like something just wasn't quite right. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your life, but I have had those moments before and things kind of went really wrong like things like my mum nearly passed away the last time my brother was paralyzed in an accident the other time so I was feeling really uneasy because I'm like "Hmm, I know this feeling and I don't like it but and you know when you've had those challenges in the past you try not to let that trigger you or for you to go in that state of something's going to happen right so I was pacing you know the perimeter of our yard I was trying to breathe, but I had these hiccups. I called my mom and she was like, look, you know, it'll be fine. Just breathe. Everything's going to be okay. You know, and I was looking outside. It was a beautiful, clear autumn day. You know, my children were running outside laughing and I thought, gosh, you know, everything will be fine. And I remember having a chat with my neighbour whose husband is or was the boss, so the other police officer where we were living at the time in Halidon, a small town near Toowoomba in Queensland. And so I said to her, you know, are the the boys working together today? And she said, yeah, yeah, they are. You know, why is that? And I said, I've just got this funny feeling. I'm really glad they're working together today. She's like, oh, everything will be fine. I'm like, yeah, of course it will be. Everything will be fine. And then no word of a lie, within an hour, heard police sirens. And Helen is a really small, quiet town, so this was unusual. And I heard the siren go once, you know, one car, two cars, three cars, ten cars. And I was like, oh, okay, something, something's going on. And then I thought, okay, there's no, can't hear ambulance or see an ambulance or anything, so don't start going there. And then the ambulances were going past and I, was, I thought, okay, something is really up here. And then I heard the two police 
the Queensland Polair helicopters hovering nearby. There's only two in the state. So if they were both dispatched, I knew something was wrong. And so I was pacing again. I, I tried to call my husband. I hate doing that when they're on duty because you don't want to distract them. But I just wanted to know he was okay and I didn't hear anything back. I didn't hear anything from his boss either. And I thought, okay, just leave it, let it go. But then I got a phone call from an unknown number and I felt compelled to answer it. I, you know, with these unknown numbers, I'm like, it could be a scam person, but I really felt compelled to answer this call. And I called and it was one of my hubby's friends from kindy. That's how long they'd been friends for. And he was in Brisbane at the time. So I said, you know, what's up? And he's like, is Sam okay? I said, how the heck do you know something is going on? And he's like, is he okay? I said, I don't know. How do you know something's happening? Because I don't know what's going on and I should. Why is he calling, you know? Like you're like, I've just seen, like he's not even here. Yeah, like how the heck exactly? You know, we hadn't spoken to Gordy for probably 12 months or something. We're both in the trenches of parenthood sort of thing. And he goes, Jess, this is so hard. I don't know what to think. Just I'm in Brisbane, I'm in a meeting and I'm watching the national news and please, please turn on the news. So I turned it on and there straight up on national news was on the headline, Helladen police officer, father of two, shot and killed in the line of duty. So the story I told myself being only two police officers in Helladen at the time, one a father of two, my husband, and then his boss being the father of three, was that that's my husband, Sam. And, you know, I was in shock. You don't expect to hear a news like that on the news nationally when everyone else is hearing it. I thought I haven't heard this news directly myself, so I'm just going to sit with this. I didn't want to go straight into panic mode, even though I could hear things playing out with the helicopters, you know, nearby. I knew something was on. So I thought, well, I'm going to call the Toowoomba headquarters police and ask them because clearly I didn't want to call my husband with whatever was going on. And they said, you know, we're so sorry, but we can't tell you anything. I thought, well, that's a load of good, isn't it? Because (laughs) I'm at my wit's end. Like I'm watching it on the news unfolding and other people know what's going on more than me and I know my husband is there. Like is he gone? And I thought, you know, you've been in this game long enough, Jess. Like Sam at that point had been in the police force for probably 12 years or something at that point and I knew that they have the horrible job of telling people in person. They need to tell people in person if if they're deceased, their loved one's gone. So, But can they not tell you over the phone if they're okay? Like I understand if something's yeah. happened but... Well, I, I guess like- at that point of time he wasn't okay. Yeah. He wouldn't have been okay. He was in the trenches. So yeah. at this point in time... 
he was being shot at 460 times by a crazed gunman in the Lockyer Valley. So I guess they couldn't tell me, you know, for a variety of reasons because I guess they didn't know. They really didn't know who was going to be able to get out of there. People were stuck there. And so it was a complete big setup with this man who decided that day that he would lure police officers in to shoot at them. I find it hard to, you know, it's one of those back from the dead moments because my husband ended up being physically okay in that incident. He was the second responder. So he witnessed his colleague in the car in front shot and killed in the line of duty who was also a beautiful husband and father in Toowoomba. Um, I find it hard because it was like a back from the dead moment. When you think someone is gone and the stories, the information you've received correlate with that, you know, you're seeing it on the news, you're seeing what your husband is in context there saying that he's, he's being killed. You, I went through grief. I felt like every cell in my body changed because to me, my husband had died. I went through planning his funeral. I went through how am I going to raise my boys? Where are, where are we going to live? Because we lived in a police house. So I thought, where the heck am I going to live? Had all these oh, conflicting emotions and thoughts in such a short period of time going through my head. And I was waiting at the gate to hear from people, you know, to tell me information because with other experience I've had, I've just thought if I hear that knock on my door or someone to tell me he's gone, I ever hear a knock again in my life, I just think that would undo me. Like it would just be such a trigger back to that moment. And so I waited by that gate, the gate that he walked in and out of to get to work, you know, each and every day, the gate that creaked to let us know that he was home and that would annoy me because, you know, it would wake up the kids at all hours of the day, this really creaky gate. But gratefully, when he was allowed to come home several, several hours after that incident, that gate creaked. And it was the best sound I think I've ever heard in my life. Jess, I can't, I'm still back at you, like watching that on TV, getting a phone call, calling and not having answers. Like, yeah, how you process that in that moment. And you use the language a lot. I was listening that you were saying, you know, the stories I told myself, I'm like, of course, like that panic and that fear. But then you also said it was like, I can't remember the words you used, but risen from the dead or, you know, when you find out that moment that they're not. In the back from the dead. So during that time I thought he was gone, I thought what's the mark that I've made on the world? And, like, I was so incredibly proud of him, like, you know, making your mark each and every day in these big ways and little ways. I remember thinking at the time, like, how do I make my mark? And we all do you know like it's making your mark isn't always about your name being up in big bright flashing lights and being at the top of your game you know in your job or being that prolific 
person. What this whole, so many lessons in this challenge, but it really taught me the mark methodology. So from the word mark, I created a methodology of mindset, authenticity, resilience, and kindness, because that's how that challenge helped to shape me because I needed to really work on my mindset. I had been a lot, but I was really allowing a lot of challenges that I had faced prior to that one to shape me in a way I didn't want to be. So I guess this was the true catalyst for change for me to kind of really wake up. I had lost one of my best friends a few years earlier to stage four ovarian cancer. That had taught me to not live a life of what others wanted of me, but a life that was true to me. So Bronnie Ware, who's a nurse in Melbourne, palliative care nurse, amazing woman, That's what she found when she talked to and interviewed her patients that were palliative for 10 years. And so I carried that with me. Am I living a life that is true to me and not what others expect of me? And so, yeah, the Mark methodology, I guess, was born. I really changed how I ran my business as well. Why do you think that's where you went? Like when you think about that scenario of what you went through, why why do you think this came up for you? Because I think personally prior to that moment, I had been struggling with my identity. What do you mean by that? So my identity for a long time had been a carer to my mum, to my brother a little bit who was became disabled my mum quite a lot, to be honest, and then also my friend who passed away, my dear friend Naomi. There was a lot of caring that came into my life and from early on in my childhood. So I was always putting others before myself that other people's happiness was paramount, especially before my own. If everyone else is happy, then that meant that I could be happy I would always try and mitigate risk at all cost from things that happened in my childhood. So I was always on the lookout for risk and that constant mitigation of it. Like you're trying to manage your risk because of what happened in your childhood. Are you comfortable sharing what you mean by that? Yeah. So it took me a while to identify where that came from. And it was when I was five, I found my beautiful brother, Juz, in a comatose state due to juvenile diabetes He was only 11 months old. My parents had been trying for months to discover what was wrong with him. We lived in Mackay. I remember the doctors trying. They weren't giving up, but they knew something was wrong. And they finally got to that stage where his body was breaking down, where I think they were like, they ran absolutely every single test and realized it was juvenile diabetes. But as a five-year-old, when you're watching your mum resuscitate your baby brother on the driveway, That was full on. And to see, you know, mum then got PTSD. So it was trying to make mum happy. I felt like if mum was happy, as you know, everyone else was sort of happy and and trying to, yeah, mitigate the risk of, of things happening so that there was no extra sadness that was coming into our home. So that's, I think, something that I 
took upon myself as this little girl that, you know, something big happened and I didn't like how that made, you know, my loved ones feel or how it made them felt. So, yeah, that risk mitigation came from that. So just always being hypervigilant and don't be silly. (laughs) That's a huge responsibility, Jess. As I'm listening to you, I'm just like, that's the weight of the world on your shoulders. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and it was. And I, as a mother now, I think, my goodness, you know, no mother asks that of their child. It's just something that I developed. And you know what? I'm grateful for it because it made me who I am. I said at the start, you know, with the elephant, they're really empathetic and, and caring animals. So that's just who I am. And to be honest, to risk mitigate, you know, that can serve us well too when it's for our best and highest good, when it's not holding us back, you know, from truly living life. When it's, you know, I say to everyone, your greatest strength, your greatest weakness, like when does it show up for you in a way that it's resourceful and when does it show up for you in a way that it's unresourceful because, you know, it's probably what makes you brilliant in this world. But, Jess, I'm also really aware that we jumped over. Like you started sharing with us this massive story and now we're here and I'm like, can we just <laughs> can we just pop back for a moment because I, I'm still back at the TV, right? What was it like for you after your husband came home? Because those next days would have been horrific and harrowing in a small country town with something so public, nationally, all these eyes on it. And I'd imagine there were investigations and like what was those next few days like for you and what were the challenges for you in those moments? To be honest, the next year became a blur. It just became pure survival. But I do remember in those next few days was just intense gratitude that he was here. But like I said, I had all these thoughts going through of, yeah, you know, like making your mark and and having that profound impact and legacy and leaving that on the world kept going through my mind And I was so incredibly proud and still incredibly proud of my husband and all our emergency service personnel for what they do every day, showing up, making their mark. It was interesting, though, because in those few days and then what I discovered, you know, afterwards was I started disconnecting from myself and my husband and loved ones because I didn't want to feel that pain again (laughs) I was unknowingly doing that to protect myself from the risk from the hurt the grief you felt it you feel like you've done it you know that you're going to have to do that again at some point in your life you know to feel that again because you know none of us get out of here alive so that was another challenging task or lesson that formed from that as well. How did you notice that? You know, you said you weren't aware of it at the time, but how did you notice eventually and what were the things that made you think, yes, that I was disconnecting? Yeah, so ironic and I felt like the biggest fraud because I was doing a workshop on connection. So you love those moments where you're like teaching <laughs> others and you're like, oh, shit, oh, shit, I don't have my, my ducks lined up. <laughs> I need to go and do some work. No, I was there talking about the power of connection in a room of I think about 40 women who had travelled from 
everywhere to be there. And I'm going through it. And I just stopped because I am very much warts and all, you know, very honest. And I just said, I'm sorry. I feel like a fraud. I have been totally disconnected from myself because of this incident. And this is what I have just come to realize. The women loved it. Like they should, you know, because that was the whole point is the honesty, the vulnerability, the authenticity, that kindness to yourself to be like, my goodness, this is, this is it. This is where I'm at. And the interesting thing here is that you can be connected to others and not connected to yourself or connected to yourself and not connected to others. And I think what we're hearing here is that having that conversation is like, oh, actually my body's not my home or my mind's not my home at the moment. And I hadn't realized that I was homeless. I hadn't realized. And that formed a massive quest personally for me then. Like, does your husband still work in the police? Yes. How did you let him walk out the door? Mm, It was very difficult. I remember Max saying to me the next day, mummy, it's okay. Daddy will come home safe today. That nearly broke me because I thought I'd done such a good job of hiding the emotions of trying to protect them from that moment. And I did. I did do a really good job. And I did my best, but, you know, it does impact on them and it did, it still does. So I had to learn to trust. That was another big lesson that come out of it is trust. We, life does unfold how it should. And as someone who with that risk mitigation, you know, trying to curate things and line things up and make sure that, bad things are going to happen, that everything's safe, I had to just learn to trust and ride those waves of change and just trust that all will unfold as it should and come what may because I did feel stronger after that challenge as well. I was like, I've got this and come what may, you know, it'll be okay. I just had to, I can't keep living life in fear, just trust all will be well. So when you think back through that scenario, what was the hardest part for you? Like when you you stand back now, 2024, it's six years on, what was the part for you? What was the the most challenging part? (sighs) The most challenging part during that time was just, you know, to breathe, to hold yourself together and to not fall apart in front of your babies. And I guess that most challenging part too was to not try and paint that picture in your mind and go to the worst-case scenario because I was trying to get that other side of the brain to work of being realistic and going, you haven't had that knock Like just keep, you know, trying to hold out hope that he is okay. I I remember having all of those conversations in my mind, like because I I would used to go to worst case scenario 
all the time for everything. You'd get a phone call, someone's died. So I was really conscious of that in that moment that I wasn't over embellishing or yet create. Because you know how I kept saying the story I was telling myself? I was very conscious of that story and going, is the information I'm being given true? You know, is it adding up? I was trying to be really aware of that. How? I have no idea how you did that because the information coming in was all lending itself to the fact that your husband had been shot. You know, like anyone in that scenario would go straight to that point. It sounds like you'd done some work previously on story and understanding what we tell ourselves and fact-checking by the sounds of it. Like, is what I'm hearing true? And I guess one thing to add that I still find that that is the most difficult was when you know that it was someone else's, that someone is in that position you thought you were in, that's hard. I That's tough. Yeah, it's still tough. Mm. Because that happened to someone. And you know that feeling from the moments that you were in it. Yeah. So, you know, you always think with milestones and things, I always think of that family. Mm. Yeah, that's the toughest. You know, I feel like just honouring that space right now, like for that family. Yes. And for everything that they've gone through and are going through, you know, and I guess it's that part where you can be so grateful that your husband's walked in but the grief that you feel for the other family is ginormous. It is. It's like that survivor's guilt. Or, mm. And then you think, why should I feel like this when this other woman is actually going through it? That secondary trauma, it's complex. It's really complex. And for a while I tried to dismiss it and go, you know, well, it wasn't you and that, you know, just soldier on but I think in life what I've learned is so many of us just think oh well push it under the rug and it wasn't about you so just move on and that's not healthy you have to acknowledge that 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 was traumatic um even though that end result wasn't the worst case for you that it was for someone else and giving permission to feel that and acknowledge that and side by side with that feel the joy and the relief yes that your husband is there oh (laughs) Jess it's yeah you know I don't have words for that at all and as I listen to you share your story, I'm also thinking about you You have mentioned so many other things along the way as well, you know, like this experience, hugely traumatic. And as we're listening, we can hear that pain still today. Love. But you've also mentioned that your brother became paralysed. Yeah. Yeah, a lot happened in a quick concession, sort of one thing after another and, I'd also lost my home and contents in the 2011 floods in Brisbane as well. So there had been a lot of loss, a lot of grief, a lot of change that happened within, honestly, like three years, four years. There was a lot of big, big things. There's more? (laughs) Yeah, there was a lot. There was the floods and then 
one of my best friends that I was telling you about, Naomi, with her stage four ovarian cancer diagnosis. And then I had a beautiful friend, close friend of mine, Frankie, who was only 40 with pancreatic cancer. He passed away the same year as my girlfriend. And then having a family too that you were told I'd never have during this time, which was just an absolute blessing. But as someone who has stage four endometriosis and adenomyosis, I was also quite debilitated with my health as well for a lot of that time. So Jess, why then with all of this, like how and why did you decide to become so outward focused on others, like writing a book and opening a business to serve others. And like, you know, listening, it sounds almost, I I feel like I'm retreating as I'm hearing the story, just thinking, how did you get up every day? Well, we don't have a choice, do we? Really? Well, I, I didn't give myself a choice. I just think it was like, I always live with perspective. It can always be worse. People have gone through a lot more, but I did realize it was a lot. You know, that's a lot of things for someone to go through in a short amount of time. And I thought I could either let this defeat me or I can let it define me. And I can let it define me to be the person I strive to be. I was young. I still am young, but, you know, I was even younger at the time. I remember thinking, I don't want to live my life being negative or attracting this sort of energy either. So I was like, what is my vibe like? And I really, I really took a hard, hard look at myself. I literally stripped off bare, stripped everything off intuitively. And I looked at the mirror and I said, how are you, buddy? And I cried because I spoke to myself like I would a good friend. How are you, buddy? I thought, I have no idea how I am. I have no idea who I am. And that sort of started the quest, which is just, it was beautiful and raw and ugly. And it still is because that's life. And I'm so grateful for all of these hard lessons and learnings because it is the definement, it's not the defeatment. And I remember thinking too, why is this always happening to me? You know, why are all these bad things happening to me? Then I thought, Jess, well, why are they happening for you? They're happening for me to be a more resilient person, to be a more kind person, to really realise that everyone has always got something going on, whether it looks like, you know, they've got their shit together or not. So I really started shifting and reframing these things. I thought when I stood on that hill when I'd lost everything in the flood, I remember thinking, geez, I've, I've lost everything I've ever worked for. But then I actually hadn't lost everything. I found so much more because I found resilience reserves I never knew I had. I found kindness in the community and from friends and family. So those lessons and learnings led me to start making shifts and changes, both personally and professionally. 
And Jess, did you have to carve time out for that? You know, I, I know how much work it takes to stare down who am I? How am I showing up for myself? How am I showing up for others? What is it that drives me? And, you know, where am I going? And all of those huge questions that we very rarely stop and, and like you said, got completely naked in front of the mirror. I mean, that's as raw and honest as it gets. Most people can't look in the mirror and give themselves a compliment. No. Let alone stare themselves down and say, where am I at? Like, who am I seeing? And, and is this okay? Is this who I want to be in the world? Yes. Did this look like for you? months years of commitment yes of carving out the space yes. to do the work yeah and it still is it's we're all on this journey you know we're all gonna get hit with these challenges in some shape or form again that's just the nature of life but it, you know it's how we react to it and what resources that we try and learn along the way about ourselves to empower us through through it so I did take a step back I really did go into survival mode after the event in 2017 and I thought I'm just going to clearly I've needed to take some time out for a long time and I haven't acknowledged it and I just keep keeping on and that's not that's not serving me so I need to acknowledge that this has been a lot and to honour myself and to honour what I've been through requires time out. And a lot of us feel like we can't do that. We're in such a hyper-connected world with so many responsibilities. But I just felt like if I didn't do that, I, I most certainly wouldn't be in the space that I am today. I just needed to remove myself a bit from a lot of responsibility and make my responsibility myself and my family. And Jess, when you think back through, what do you look like on a day that's tough or but hard for you versus what do you look like on a day that you're feeling confident and thriving? You know, if you were to describe your moments that you feel at your worst or that you're not showing up in a way that you want to, how does that look? Oh, I know that I'm not being my my best self when I'm snappy or, you know, just not feeling in flow or aligned when things just don't seem to be going right or it's hard to communicate or connect. And when I start to feel like that, I become a lot more aware of when it's happening because, of course, it's going to happen. And I just think, okay, just need to just t- to take a break and to step off. And it's even to the point like it doesn't happen a lot anymore, but say I did have a client booked in, I would actually honour that and go, you know, is it possible to change our session? Because if I'm not showing up as my best self, I don't believe that's fair, you know, for a client or anything like that. But it's interesting because when you do start honouring yourself, I feel like the universe shifts things for you. So quite often they will ask to change the meeting before I do. So it's very rare that I have to do that if for some reason I have gone into this space that's, you know, I've, I've gone into a dark space. And then to get myself out of that, it is that awareness and acknowledgement and I do have things that I do that helps me to get out of that. A day in flow or just, you know, being 
what you think is just, yeah, normal. And it, it is just, you know, being able to exercise or go for a walk. I set the intention for the day. So my husband, he has this saying, like, you know, we've got to run the day or the day will run us. So it's really waking up with that intention and going, these are my intentions for the day. Having that movement, listening to music that lights me up, you know, really talking and connecting with my family before they're off to school and the whole work thing happens. And being mindful and having those conversations with people and the kindness bit. So being kind to others, I just feel like that energy just reflects back in that makes you joyful and that ease comes through in life. I always say to my girls, I said it to one of them this morning, kindness is free, you know, and both parties benefit. Yes, absolutely. I think nearly we benefit more as the person giving it than the receiver sometimes, but it's so impactful. And Jess, you mentioned earlier around the presentation where you were talking about connection and you had this light bulb moment of, whoa, I'm actually disconnected from me. So having that realization and taking the first step, they can be worlds apart, right? Because you can have a realization, but not know what to do with it. So what did that first moment look like? How did you go from zero to one? Well, in that whole process, really the zero to one was the whole mirror moment, like that de-layering and stripping bare, like that would be the absolute step one of that whole journey is the mirror moment. Just that de-layering in all senses of clothing, but also stripping, yeah, beliefs that weren't serving me, looking at values. Like that's everything that started to come through of, yeah, who am I? After the, the connection, disconnection experience, it was then going, yeah, what really does light me up and how am I truly filling my cup? So what am I doing for myself? Because it is trying to have that connection, I guess, to myself is a requirement so that I can then truly connect with my loved ones. So that prioritizing myself in that connection space, what does that look like for me was the next step in that journey, that's for sure. You know, I always think about it's like, you would never take a car on a six-hour trip without fuel. It wouldn't. You see the empty light come no. on and you go and put fuel in it. But yet we we see the empty light come on for us as humans all the time and we think, no, we can just keep going. I'll stop at the next petrol station in five days or, five, or I'll just get to Christmas. You know, how often do we hear, yes. I'll just get to Christmas and I'll take a break and we're in October. And I'm like, what? Yes. You know, now's the time to put the fuel in the car for your long trip. Or another big thing, and I still pick up myself saying this, I'll just do this, then I'll do what, you know, something for me. I'll just do the wishing up, then I'll do that. Or I'll just do this. Oh, that's something I'm really trying to be more mindful of. No, that washing up will always be there. So just go and do that thing. And then do the washing up. Like, really? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you probably didn't do this alone. You know, like I'd imagine from listening to everything that you've said, you know, working through core beliefs, having that moment of standing in front of the mirror, working on your values, filling up your toolkit. Like, did you have people helping you along that journey and helping you unpack that and really stare that down? Or did you do it all yourself? Not a soul. Oh, not a soul. 
I did it myself. It was just all very intuitively led of this is what I need to do. I didn't reach out for help at all. How did you know to look at core beliefs or to work out what your values are or to stand naked? Like how, where did that come from? Like I say, completely intuitive. And prior to that moment, the experience in 2017, I've known that I'm highly intuitive, but I didn't want to tell people that because I had a huge fear that they would think I'm weird or woo-woo or just different and you know I faced my big one of my biggest fears of thinking I'd lost my husband and so one of the changes I created after that was to live a life that was true to me and that was to do to lean into my intuitive abilities to go and learn you know Reiki energy healing and to really step into my personal power so I can't tell you it just it was all there I have done a lot of reading, so I would say books. Yeah, absolutely credit self-help books and things like that. But I did not have a guru that I would listen to on YouTube or a psychologist or nothing like that that helped me that I chose to seek help from at that time. And I think that's important because there is a message out there all the time, like get help, seek help. And it's like your help can come from within. I truly believe that. And your help can come from the most bizarre places, the most remote corners. I've sat in a therapy room with people for many, many decades. I've been on the gym floor for many, many decades. I'm an executive coach, yet I can't say that one of those vehicles is stronger than another. Mm-hmm. And so Once a human makes the decision that they're going to hold themselves to account and that they're going to create change in their life and that how they're walking in the world isn't how they want to be is the most powerful moment in life. Like when someone stands up and says, I'm prepared to run the risk, when we were talking about risk earlier, Mm. to be vulnerable and to show up how I want to show up. Like it's almost an unstoppable force sometimes. It is. It was like if nothing changes, nothing changes. And I think because, as I was saying earlier, you know, when you're a carer and you're just putting everyone before yourself, I had lost sight of who I was and I didn't want to hear suggestions from other people. I did. I wanted to listen to me. I wanted, you know, I wanted to learn from myself from that inner being and tap into that that inner knowing that I knew was there I I really didn't want to hear any more yeah I didn't want I wanted to switch that outside noise off wanted to get naked in front of the mirror and just get naked (laughs) and go let's go (laughs) this is me people yeah I thought I lost everything in the floods I'm just gonna stand here naked and have an honest conversation (laughs) but look at where you are today it helped for me I'm not saying that's gonna help everyone but it helped for me And we're about to run out of time. So I guess, Jess, I'm thinking we have covered a lot today. We have spoken about a lot and there's been some really big key moments in your life and challenges. When you think about all of them, when we put them all back in the pot, what are the lessons that you have taken away from the road that you have walked to date? So... When I've reflected back on each of those big moments, what I like to call now make your mark 
moments, the moments where, you know, you think that the world is making its mark on you, but really I can switch that to be, well, I'm actually making my mark on the world. And with mark, you know, that's actually an acronym for mindset, authenticity, resilience, and kindness, M-A-R-K. So that's the mark methodology that I've created that really has stemmed from those challenging times. So I can think, yeah, well, how is my mindset? Can I reframe things? How am I feeling? And just being honest with that authenticity. Am I showing up as my authentic self? Is this really what I want to do? This is all just so brief, but in, you know, resilience, digging into those resilience reserves that I didn't know that I had during that time. But then you look back and go, whoa, like that has taken a lot of resilience. Like you said, how did you just keep waking up and keep moving on? Like it's resilience. You keep just bouncing forward And K for kindness, because what I discovered probably is the biggest lesson and learning throughout those is being kind to yourself first and foremost, because if we're not kind to ourselves, how can we truly be kind to others and the world? We just need so much more kindness right now. So the Mark methodology then formed the whole basis of my book, Clarity, to make your mark. Tell us a little bit about the book. So it's about the 12 steps to discovering your vision, becoming the best self that you can be and that you want to be, and leaving the legacy that you deserve. And so it's about how, yes, there's these big things in life and great make your mark moments, like I'm about to have one this year in New York to an accept a gold award, a New York Big Book Award for the book. So, like, that's... Oh, my God! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Let's you. celebrate that. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So, like, that's a, you know, that's a beautiful make-your-mark moment, you know, one of those real positive ones and that we aspire to. But like I said, all the challenges that we have that change us, they're make-your-mark moments too, and it's how we can make them to work for us instead of against us. So the book has, yeah, 12 steps that really is that peeling back that process of going, you know, your identity, your self-worth, working out your vision, unwrapping your unique gifts and unshackling those fears and, and belief systems. So there's a lot of tasks and exercises throughout the book. That's just a really nice way to go, you know, if you're really wanting to seek some clarity around who you are and what you want to do, it's just a nice start. And I think it's won seven seven awards now, the book, so it must be okay. (laughs) Who else out there right now that's listening to this is like, I'm going to go buy that because that's where I'm sitting. Jess, I'm like, oh, I wonder if they have it at Kmart. Can I go and get it today? Um It is on my website and it's across all good online retailers as well. How long did it take you to write the book? Because, you know, sometimes when we hear people have written a book, it's like, oh, great. But what we don't realise is what it takes to write a book. (laughs) And, you know, so how long did it take you to write this book? It did take me five years on and off. 
But then I really gave myself 12 months. I had another hard make your mark moment occur. And I thought, you know what, this book has to come out because I just feel like I've got something that I can say. And if it can help one person, then it's helped. I'm I'm making my mark and, and leaving a legacy. So it did take five years and I'm really glad I didn't rush it because there are people out there and business coaches that say, write a book and, you know, position yourself or whatever. No, again, that authenticity just, it might take you a lifetime, but it'll be worth it. And what about if we were to take a moment to think about, is there a message that you would have for your teenage self? It would be to try and not let fear hold you back from yeah, living your life and the dreams that I deserved. I would have um, probably done things sooner rather than later. And also just, you know, to just be okay with being yourself, that that is our greatest gift, just to be you. And that we are enough. You are enough. So enough. <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for sharing. I do have two questions before we finish, so we're not done yet. The first is how do people find you? So the best way would be to hop on my website, which is www.transformationalbrandlab.com or I'm also on LinkedIn as Jessica Ritchie as well, and also on Instagram and Facebook as the Jessica Ritchie. Jessica Ritchie, I love to finish every episode with asking who or what in your world truly makes you belly laugh? And I mean, you know, the giggle juice that you get that you almost feel like you can't stop laughing and it's infectious? Oh, my youngest son, Billy, is just a true card like character and he he just by being himself he just has this quirkiness and can just see and cut through things that makes things funny so true belly laughs I get from him because I just think where do you get that from because I just don't think I'm not funny not from you no <laughs> I'm not funny I wish I was I really wish I was. But I'm, I'm not at all but do you know what seriously made me belly laugh a few mornings ago have you seen the poor woman who tries to get into her house to go to the toilet and she's upside down and loses her bra and everything no. and, oh my goodness it's gone completely violent her friend is out the front just in stitches belly laughing and then they've got another friend that's filming it and I had tears just falling down my face she's been interviewed across the world because of it because it has made so many people like actually belly laugh it's just incredible because you know we spoke a lot about kindness in this episode but I love the words kindness and laughter because it's almost impossible to be sad and angry when you're laughing. Like it just fills our souls with joy when we laugh, when it's a real raw laugh. And so that's why I love to ask (laughs) the question at the end of every episode. I love it. You'll have to send it to me. I will. I will send it. You sort of feel bad because she's obviously um, in a state that she can't get out of, but she's got such a good character and, and she finds it funny. So... 
I'll send it to you. And I'm probably the only person that hasn't watched it yet by the sounds of it. So don't leave me hanging. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Jess. It would have been a lot easier not to come on and share, I'm sure, because we kind of went back and revisited some of the really mark your moments Mm -hmm. and some of the challenging mark your moments. Like you said, there can be, there can be the joyous ones. There can be the ones that, you know, where you stand up and you get the award or you have your children that you got told you couldn't have or there's these beautiful marky moments in life but there are these other moments, these pivotal, oh, gut-wrenching moments that do just help us be the character that we embody for the rest of our life and as hard as they may be when you're in the moment, so often we stand back later and look back and think that moment has really helped me be in this moment. Yes, and I think if it's okay, I'd just like to leave you with my thanks for inviting me and that I do like to be vulnerable. As you know, tears, laughter, it's all there. But what I've come to know, and it is that even in the dark, in those dark times, we can be the spark for ourselves and for others, and that is how we can make our mark. So thank you very much for having me. I hope you all took something away from this episode. I know I certainly did. If you love Jess's vibe, grab her book and have a read or reach out to her around brand strategy. I was laughing so much when we got off because my first words were to her, man, I need you in my life. Sometimes I feel like such a washing machine with so many different businesses, with so many different logos, brand, brand strategy, different audiences. I definitely need a woman like Jess in my life. And don't forget, if you love this episode, to share it with your family, friends, or work colleagues, because that's how we grow and that's how we have a greater impact around the globe. As you know, we've moved the mini series Beyond the Summit to its own platform. You can search for it now on Spotify or Apple Pod. And the best news is we did episode four last week, but episode five and six are already up and there is more to come. I hope you guys have an awesome week and I will see you next Monday. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.